Does COVID have you feeling stalled at work? Cornell ILR Professional Education can help you get back on the road to career growth. Visit discover.ilr.cornell.edu to get started. Work is all around us. It defines us. The future of work impacts nearly every person on our planet, and the ILR School at Cornell University is influencing policy and practice around the world. In this episode of Work, Exploring the Future of Work, Labor, and Employment, Dean Alex Colvin speaks with ILR alumnus Spencer Levy, Chairman of America's Research and Senior Economic Advisor for CBRE. Pleasure today to be speaking with Spencer Levy. Uh, he is the chairman of America's Research for CBRE. Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Alex. Maybe you could explain for our audience just a little bit what exactly that job involves. What do you do? Sure. Well, uh, I am the uh, chairman of America's Research and the chief spokesman for CBRE, which is the largest real estate company in the world on real estate matters. And uh, what I do is I study real estate. And when I say I study real estate, I study office buildings, retail, hotels, you name it, I study it. And one of the reasons why I'm very fortunate to be here today with you, Alex, is because during my studies in the last year, which have been extraordinary for all of the COVID reasons you you can imagine, uh, it brought me back to ILR, my alma mater from 92. I said, you know what? We're studying labor issues I studied 30 years ago. And let's go back to the source. Let's really dig into the decades of terrific research on this. Uh, and now that's exactly what we're doing. We're combining our own surveys, our own research with some of the great work that Cornell and some of the other terrific academic institutions have done on the future of work, uh, which is why I'm delighted to be here today. Well, we're delighted to have you. And it's an interesting question. The ILR, uh, we teach our students a lot about different aspects of labor relations, but you know, you're in the uh, real estate world. What, what were the things that you remember from uh, from your time here, from your studies that you've ended up using or drawing on in your work? You know, it's interesting how I use different elements of it over time, uh, but the areas that I used consistently were the organizational behavior classes, macro and micro, because I've been at four or five different companies and. Everything that I saw, good and bad, I saw in the classroom first. I certainly use all of my HR learning uh, in the classes. But interestingly, and this is not a knock on ILR, but the, the most memorable professor I had was a gentleman by the name of Richard Doc Applin, who taught AGEC 101. And what I remember about that class is not just what he taught, but how he taught. I also, among my many things, I teach uh, public speaking. And I say, find your North Star. Who do you want to be like? I say, I want to be like this guy, Richard Doc Applin, because it wasn't just the substance of how he spoke. It was the way he spoke, the way he communicated. So the, the summary of the answer is, I remember my classes, but I also remember the professors who impacted me in the way they communicated. And he was number one. And that really is something I think that's, that's great for the students. Cornell is this incredibly complex, diverse university. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it may be the, the wines class or oceanography uh, that inspire you. Um, it, you know, it's that, it's that range of things you discover in college. You bet. Well, I, I, I was going to mention the wines class, too, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we can we can talk more about that next time we meet in person up at Cornell. Yeah, about that. it's it's still incredibly popular here, but obviously in the in the days of COVID, mm-hmm. um, a little more difficult to do. Um, it's an inherently in person class. So one of the things we've been talking a lot about at ILR is the future of work, how work is changing. Uh, 
in the real estate world, um, you know, I know you're thinking a lot about this question of, of the future of the office, which is really a central part of work and how we think about it. So what are, what are you thinking about in uh, uh, the direction of the future of the office and what that's going to mean for the world of work? Sure. Well, the office, much like retail, much like all forms of real estate, have been evolving for hundreds of years. So it's not it's not new that we're going to see changes to office because of COVID. But what we are going to see is what's known as an acceleration of trend, of previous trends that had existed and some new ones. So the acceleration of some of the trends that had existed uh, was the were demographic, was the movement of people, uh, movement from people from some places like New York, California, New Jersey, to places like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Raleigh, Denver, cities like that, right? That accelerated. We're going to see more of that. Right. You also saw a trend of people moving from cities to suburbs, uh, living there. Now, that had happened previously. Millennials had already disproportionately been moving to suburbs. So we're going to see more of that. Um, So that's the movement of people. But then you want to get to the essence of what's going to happen to the physical plant of the building and the space within that building. And how will that impact work? Well, the trend that we had seen pre-COVID was known as densification. We saw more and more people in less and less space. Um, And that trend is now going to reverse. You're going to see more space for the same people for health and safety reasons. And there are going to be other health and safety changes, including better uh, HVAC, better janitorial services. But then the the trillion dollar question, and it it is a trillion dollar question, given how big the space is, is how much will work from home impact the need and the design of office space? And we've done many studies on it. McKinsey has, KPMG has, I'm sure Cornell has. In fact, I know you guys have because I've read some of them. So, and by the way, they're excellent, by the way. And so the the answer is nobody knows for sure what percentage that people are going to be in the office less. Some people say, oh, 10% less. Some people say 20% less. Nobody is going to know until people are feeling safe again and there is a new normal. Now, I will point to places like, Uh, Sydney, Australia. I'll point to places like Singapore, where I have the data sitting here on my screen to my right, and where they've controlled the disease better, they're 90% plus or minus back. So is that the model? Or will it be less than that? So we we won't know for sure, but there will be some diminution in the amount of office we're going to use and the location of that office uh, to be in some of these suburban locations, but also to be in some of these secondary cities. But this is not throwing New York or San Francisco under the bus. Because there's another study we did that found that the most highly educated, highly productive folks are still disproportionately going to go to New York, going to go to San Francisco. So even though they're going to have competition from the Austin, Texas of the world, uh, they're still going to be um, the places to be uh, for some of the most talented, uh, most highly educated people. One of the things as an employment scholar that really interests me about this is that there seems to be kind of a tension that you really see playing out between where the where the companies, where the employers want people and, and how to organize that, and that sort of the demand factor from employees. You know, we hear these, these stories about people who want to uh, be located in more lifestyle uh, locations, right? You know, you, you mentioned some of these smaller centers, right, where they can, you know, get the lifestyle things they want. I mean, we're even seeing that, frankly, up here in the Finger Lakes. Uh, we've had this influx of people from uh, the New York City area during COVID, you know, snapping up real estate, you know, residential real estate properties. There's fewer uh, nicer you- places on the planet, let me tell you, from May through September and yeah. up by Cayuga's waters. It's beautiful up there. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So long as you're not shopping in February, right? That's the key. <laughs> nice store. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, how much how much of this, you know, do you think is being driven by, you know, sort of individual people's desires? How much is it kind of pulled by that? How much is it the company still driving? Sure. Things? Well, let me let me. I guess there's two perspectives there. One is the employee's perspective. One is the employer's perspective, right? And so the, from the employee's perspective, they want more live, work, play environments. They want more balance in their lives. And that's why cities like Denver are on the list because the ski mountains are two hours away. Salt Lake City, Park City yeah. is an hour away. Uh, you live in uh, Southern California, the beach could be closer than that. Uh, I remember when I was a young associate in a law firm in New York City, I got to the office at seven in the morning, left at 11 at night in a crummy little office, and I ate crummy little food. <laughs> and you know what? I was happy as heck. I do. I was happy because that's all I knew. I thought that was the I thought that was the top, the peak of the mountain for a 24, 25 year old recent uh, law school grad. But now they want to have more balance. And so that's the employee's perspective. Mm-hmm. But now we have to go to the employer's perspective. And going back to my ILR training, you always need to look at both. And from the employer's perspective, they want their employees to be happy. But more importantly, they want their employees to be productive. And productivity is the uh, the magic, uh, the secret sauce, because it's impossible. Let me restate that. It is extremely difficult to measure productivity. It's very easy to measure efficiency. That's why you see so many corporate real estate leaders focus on cost and efficiency rather than productivity. But so let's assume for the moment that your employee wants to be in this live, work and play environment like a Denver or mm-hmm. Salt Lake City or someplace in Florida. Well, are they going to be as productive? And, and if they're not, are you going to pay them as much? And if they are not in the corporate headquarters, are they going to be treated differently and, dare I say it, worse than the people who are in the corporate headquarters? And there's this new, my new favorite word, which I'm going to mispronounce, is presenteeism, yeah. where you treat the employee in the office better than those that are outside. By the way, that's not a new phenomenon. That's been happening forever. Uh, And uh, even though I'm here to promote Cornell ILR, there was a great study by Stanford University on this, which talked about in 2015, when they did a study at people that were working from home, lost out on promotions, they didn't learn the networking skills, they didn't learn the communication skills. So these are bridges we're going to need to cross now, as work from home becomes more prevalent. So we obviously are dealing with this a lot as a university because we're in the business of in-person education. Um, it's sort of inherently a personal like campus experience. Uh, but as you look across all these different kinds of markets and, and different asset types, uh, do you see variation in this areas where uh, you see more change and less change? Well, you do. And there's certainly going to be not just regional differences here in the United States, there's going to be cultural differences Globally, it's going to be different in Singapore than it is going to be in Paris, uh, but the, but not as much difference as you think, because ultimately, the biggest companies are global at this point, yeah. and they're going to be measuring their employees by the same measure of, of productivity. Now, they may treat them somewhat differently in certain places um, uh, from a uh, allowing them to work from home more than others. And by the way, that that is really the question mark right mm-hmm. now. How much do you make this an employee choice? And how much do you make this a mandate to be in the office certain times? And now some of our preliminary studies, because CBRE has done our own studies, found that choice is the preferred way to go for your employees if you can give them that choice. But I think many corporate CEOs are now seeing it differently. 
because they are seeing, while in, in the beginning, uh, we saw a lot of what they perceived to be productivity, they're now seeing that fall off. So I think we're seeing more and more corporate CEOs saying, you know what, we really need our people in the office today, not just for the uh, fall off in productivity, but to create this corporate culture um, of whatever enterprise they're trying to, uh, to promote. So yes, regional difference by country, uh, by state in the United States. I mean, we can talk red and blue if you'd like, but the point is, is that ultimately yeah. there is going to be different treatments of employees, but the employers, I think, are the pendulum, which had swung totally towards employee choice maybe six months ago. I think that pendulum is now swinging back. It's like, you know what? As corporate leaders, we're going to have some say in this in order to, to maximize the productivity of the enterprise. It's interesting when you're talking about that question as the CEO thinking about the productivity of the workers and the value of having them in the in person. We're in a period when uh, there's been this enormous technological innovation. We're, we're talking over Zoom. I think uh, many people now, Zoom is central to their work lives. Um, you know, but that suggests that maybe there's uh, some countercurrents that the technology um, uh, has limits in terms of how it's going to transform things. Uh, what's your take on how technology uh, is, is impacting uh, the, the real estate, the world of the office, and directly, indirectly? How do, how do you think that's going to play out going forward? Well, I'll answer it from both sides of my mouth. A lot and a little. A lot, because right now we can operate to a greater extent remotely. And But that's just knowledge workers, folks. We can't. If you are a, a uh, property manager, you have to be at the property, right? If you right. are a, uh, a service worker, you have to be at the restaurant. You have to be the driver of the train. So we're only talking about a subset of workers now that can, can truly do Zoom and things like that. Um, and we are, and we're doing it as best we can, and it's, and it's going pretty well. But let me ask you a question, Alex. Yep. You know, you could go home tonight and have a nice meal and have a glass of wine. Uh, wouldn't you rather have that at Ruloff's in downtown, um, <laughs> you know, with some of your students talking about the, the thing of the day with a pitcher of beer? Of course you would. Yeah. And, the, and the reason is because it's a better environment to be in a restaurant than to be in your home, though. I'm sure your home is lovely, Alex. Yep. It is a better environment to learn, to teach, to get the subtleties. And the office is no different. So the expression that I use all the time is that the office for decades, for many knowledge workers, has been a want, not a need. Why do people want to go to the offices? For the same reason they want to go to restaurants, even though they don't have to. For the same reason they want to go to hotels, even though they don't have to. Because it makes them better in all the ways that make us human. And in, in the work context, it's productivity. It's co uh, collaboration with people, camaraderie. And in the retail context, it is very similar things. Camaraderie, networking, meeting people. And these aren't going to change. The basic human emotions are going to change, which brings me to my other part of the question about, yes, technology has changed things, but it hasn't changed humans' basic emotions. And where, and where did I learn that? From my organizational behavior classes at ILR, when I was learning about Max Weber, uh, I had a terrific <laughs> professor, I forget her name, uh, but she was terrific, and um, talking about how they were trying to understand the psychology of the average employee. And you know what? It hasn't changed in 100 years. Yeah, it's funny. As you talk about uh, professors, you know, I certainly see that as dean of the school. You know, I'm able to do a lot of the formal stuff or formal meetings and so on over Zoom. But what I've really noticed is I'm not getting those 
drop bys, the casual conversations, those in the cup of coffee. You know the cup, a of, cup coffee. of coffee is really valuable. It really helps. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear that set of things that that you chat about over coffee or a beer um, uh, in this in this setup. And so, yeah, you know, and it's interesting. We we certainly use the technology in academia for a long time. You know, we uh, data analysis, all those kind of good tools. But um, but we are really missing something with not having that in person. Can I, can I go back to the, the last point you just made there, Alex, if I could? Yeah. But you said data analysis, okay? That's all we do around here is data analysis, right? And I've had <laughs> more debates with my colleagues, even as recently as yesterday, over the value of data that is collected during the pandemic. Because if you were collecting data during the pandemic, said that employee preferences are X, employer preferences are Y, and they were and they were collected a year ago, they're going to be very different today by the same people. And, and, and so that's where human judgment still has a role. Mm -hmm. I can give you, uh, I'll give you one horror story if I could, Alex. And the one horror story I'll yeah. tell you was in the self-storage arena. In the self-storage arena, many people have outsourced their um, pricing models to algorithms for large companies. In any event, the algorithms back in March of last year said, because we are in the middle of this crisis, you need to drop rents by 40%. Uh, well, guess what? Demand for self-storage actually went up during the crisis, not down. And by following the algorithms, they destroyed tens of millions of dollars of value of their assets because they didn't incorporate human judgment. So I think human judgment ain't going anywhere in particular during times of flux like we're in today. You always, data is an incredibly important input. We should get as much as we can. We should analyze it as deeply as we can, but then we need to think about what is the real world implications. Now, an industry that uh, is inherently very human um, is the travel and hotel industry. And here at Cornell, we have the world's leading hotel school just next door to ILR. Uh, my friends over there um, certainly are telling me about how that industry has been really devastated by uh, by the pandemic. You know, the, uh, the the economic consequences there have been enormous. Uh, when, when do you see that um, industry coming back? Are they going to bounce back quickly, slowly? Where, where do you think they're going? To my friends at the hotel school, I first say I come there and I teach at the hotel school uh, every couple of years and stay at the Statler Hotel. And you've always been good to me. And so uh, <laughs> I have been studying the hotel industry uh, in depth uh, for a long time, but in particular in the last year. And this is what's going to happen. So we break hotels into three categories, uh, Alex. One is the, the most challenged, which are international focused hotels okay. uh, in markets like Honolulu that really only uh, serve an international audience or, or primarily do that. And those hotels are not going to come back to pre-COVID levels till 2024. And then we have the second category, which are business hotels, uh, where uh, they are not going to come back in full in cities like Chicago, New York, uh, till 2023. And some of those hotels won't come back at all because we project at least 20,000 rooms and hotels, uh, rooms in New York City will not reopen. But then there's the green shoots, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. I and mean, what is that green shoot? The drive to staycation hotel. Those are doing quite well. I had on my personal podcast this week, Jordy Johnson, who is the CEO of Johnson Development, large owner of hotels, he says his drive-to hotels are doing incredibly well, 80% plus occupancy. Can't get a room there on the weekend, and anytime during spring break or summer holiday, you better get your rooms now because 
they are booking up rapidly. Uh, and so some of the demand that's lost from business or international will be picked up by the drive-to staycation traveler, part A. Part B, the average American today has more savings in their pocket than they did pre-COVID. Now, this is not to diminish the fact that there are many hurting Americans, so I'm not ignoring that fact at all. But the average American has more savings. So they have savings and they have the key fact, pent up demand. It goes back to the psychology of being cooped up, wanting to spend. And this is not guessing. This is a very common economic concept, but also we're seeing it in action in places that have opened up like Australia, like Asia, mm-hmm. where my good friend, Henry Chin, who uh, runs our Asian um, research business, calls it revenge retail. People are going out to spend on luxury goods and other things uh, because they haven't. And hotels are going to be perhaps the biggest beneficiary of it. But until we have freedom of movement, particularly um, international air travel, uh, it's going to take some time for uh, international and business hotels to come back. And business travel is really being a central part of a lot of uh, people's work lives. And, and I understand that you yourself um, uh, were hitting something like 200,000 miles in, in 2019, which is- 2019 least, was my record year, yes. It, that is a staggering amount of trial. I mean, uh, travel, it's a little like a, what George Clooney's character in Up in the Air. Um, uh, it was like traveling constantly and-, and, and hitting Well, I go even further because George Clooney was also a motivational speaker on the side. And sometimes I wonder whether people hire me for these shows to be the economist or the motivational guy. But the um, uh, and I also teach a lot, too. But, yeah, um, the amount of travel I did in 2019 uh, would have been exceeded last year. I did 57,000 miles in uh, January and February alone last year because I had two I had two European trips, multiple cross country trips. And the question you have to ask yourself is, uh, is it worth it? Is it is are we going to come back to that? And I don't know that that we'll ever get back to a 100 percent of those levels because I realize I can do so much from here. But I think we're going to come back closer to those levels than people think. And the reason Mm -hmm. is, is that I already have uh, had my first live gig uh, last week. I did wear a mask for that gig, uh, but I have my next live gig next week in Houston. Uh, And it's going to be very different. And then I have another gig live in Denver in a few weeks after that. And then I expect come September, it's going to be close to business as usual, with the exception of international travel, which I don't see coming back till mid-year 22. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. We're we're thinking about that same trend from a university standpoint. Uh, I've discovered how much of my budget was actually going to travel, which I don't think we'd ever really taken a hard look at until COVID. And it's it's really kind of kept us economically uh, fairly stable because we've saved so much money on that. You know, myself included, you know, we go to conferences and then as Dean, I'm doing doing alumni relations kind of work traveling traveling around and and it's interesting now we think about some of the things that you know uh, we're really missing um, going to those conferences and, and really kibbutzing with our with our colleagues and coming up with the, the new ideas over beers in the evenings you know that that we are missing out but there was a lot of other stuff we were traveling for that we didn't really need to travel and, and we can frankly get connections with people that we wouldn't have been able to make if we do them virtually. So, you know, so yeah, I think we're going to follow what you say. A lot of stuff's going to come back, but, but not everything. Yeah. Well, look, um, sometimes I have these really strange thoughts about whether I live in an alternative reality and whether a higher power decided to have this crisis so I could spend time with my family. Yeah. I'm a father. I have three kids. They are 16, 15, and 11. And 
you know, for everybody that's listening to this podcast and they're asking about work-life balance, um, once you get further up the chain, it's very difficult uh, to both have that and go to my kids' ball games or my daughter's dance recital. Guess what I've been doing this year? Going to my kids' ball games, going to my daughter's dance recital. I just drove my kids to school this morning. And you know what? It was great. And you know what? I now see the value in that far more than when I was so focused on the business travel side. So, you know, COVID has a hundred and uh, terrible things that happened because yep. of it. One of the positive things that happened and made you really treasure your family even more. I, I'm going to second that entirely. I have a 13 and 17 year old daughters and I've, I've been hitting soccer games. And I haven't, I haven't driven, I think, farther than a one hour radius from Ithaca for a year, but I've been to a lot of soccer games locally and uh, I'm quite happy about that. So, Spencer, I understand that you, as well as coming on po podcasts like this, you also host CBRE's podcast, The Weekly Take. Can you tell me about that and, and what, what you're trying to do with that podcast? Sure. Um, so, first of all, we're um, much like you, you should be duly proud of this podcast, Alex, uh, on the future of work. We're very proud of our podcast, which is about the future of real estate. And so we try to get the premier real estate leaders in the world uh, on our podcast weekly to talk about the different asset classes. So you mentioned hotels. We've already had two hotel podcasts, uh, including we had the CEO of Host Hotels, uh, Jim Rizzolio, who was one of our guests. And we have the CEOs of every major REIT uh, coming to our show. We have the global heads of real estate from major corporations, uh, including uh, Bank of America, including Microsoft, uh, to talk about what's going to happen to real estate uh, in the future. And we're very proud we've been recognized by Forbes uh, as one of the top go-to industry resources. Um, and that's because we are very, um, uh, I say, disciplined about making sure we have the highest quality guests and we have great conversations. We don't make it an academic exercise. Uh, we'd make it a conversation uh, with some of the top leaders and they feel very comfortable to come on our show uh, because they have their peers there as well. Very well. It's been a real pleasure talking to you on our podcast, but, but I do hope with travel picking up, we'll be able to see you on campus before too long. As I said, I teach up there, you know, every couple of years and would like to do it more. Uh, and I would note that uh, my friend, my buddy's uh, daughter is about to graduate from Cornell this year. And we're probably going to spend uh, a week uh, in a house on Cayuga Lake uh, starting uh, probably at the end of May or early June. Well, uh, congratulations to her. And uh, it's, it's been great having the conversation. So thank you. Alex, very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to work. You can subscribe to our podcast at work.ilr.cornell.edu or on iTunes. If you have a recommendation for a guest or a topic to be discussed on a future episode, just click on the link in the show notes of this episode and leave your suggestion. Again, thank you for listening.